Good morning, Mr. Greg Mackling. Good morning, Brett McGarry. You're wearing shorts. Wearing shorts. I got my Jets jersey on. Let's do this tonight. Man. Let's finish <laughs> it off. I cannot believe the Jets did what they did to the Predators on Saturday night. Obviously, you're hopeful when you're watching a game, but I was fully expecting the Jets to come back to Winnipeg for tonight's game, down three games to do. They're up three games to two and have an opportunity to do something that an NHL team in this town has never done before, and that's to win a second-round series and to go on to the Western Conference Championship. And their opponent may be just as unlikely as the Jets are uh, to be one of the two teams competing in that being the Vegas Golden Knights, the expansion Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah, that was, uh, what did that that game, that series go five or six games? Six games, yeah, last night. Okay. The uh, Knights beating the Sharks in San Jose last night to punch their ticket to the Western Conference final. So the Jets would probably, you know, if they're going to do this, they should probably do it tonight because game one isn't likely to be until Friday, probably more likely Saturday of this week. Uh, Game seven, should it be necessary, goes Thursday night in Nashville. Justin Timberlake playing at Bridgestone Arena on Wednesday night in Nashville, which means there'll be the extra day off between games six and seven. So Nashville would have essentially six full days off between games, and you don't want to be playing against a team that's got six days off versus two uh, for yourself. So if the Jets want to do this, I highly suggest they do it tonight. You say they'll have, what do you mean they'll have six days off between games? Well, Vegas finished their series last oh, night. Oh, Vegas. I thought you said Nashville. I think. Oh, okay. Vegas. Okay, Vegas. Got, That's okay. Confused. Well, if you heard it, if you heard it wrong, then other people, people uh, uh, that I said it incorrectly. So, yeah, so Vegas will have six days off. And uh, so the, you know, if the Jets go to game seven Thursday night, then they'd have to start Saturday uh, with two days off, essentially a one day rest Friday and back at it Saturday. So the Jets really want to take care of business tonight. Okay. So that's another uh, late start tonight for the Jets. Yes. 830 downtown. So which means by the time they sing the national anthems, et cetera. I don't know if there will be any catfish on the ice tonight. I suspect there won't be. Uh, we're looking at about 840, 845. Did that happen? Has that happened in any Here? Videos? Not here. In Nashville, though, they like to throw the catfish. Really? Yeah. So people bring catfish mm. into the stands. Yes. And hang on to them for how long before they uh, unload Pretty them? Pretty early in the game. Okay. They don't hold on to them for too, too long. What is uh, it? Is squid or octopus that Detroit? Octopus. Because back in the day, back in the... Uh, in the six team, the original six NHL, you only needed to win two series. So you needed to win eight games to oh. win the Stanley Cup, thus the octopus. Oh, my God. I always wondered what the octopus was. What a strange tradition. What do you think they do with all the octopi that get thrown onto the ice? Yeah, imagine they just end up in the BFI. Octopi and the BFI. You'd think that it seems, that seems like such a waste. It does seem like such a waste. And a lot of people don't like uh, what Nashville fans do with the catfish either, although Todd Longley says, you call that a catfish? <laughs> <laughs> and Todd Longley is who for those Todd Longley is the rock and roll fisherman, and uh, he runs the cha- Channel Cats uh, fishing uh, service up in uh, Lockport, and he knows a thing or two about the size of catfish that we can uh, pull out of the Red River. So, uh, yeah, you'd need a, a small army of people to throw a you know, a real channel cat on the ice at Bell MTS place. 
Coming up after 7 o'clock today, we have a concert announcement and beat the box office tickets to go with that. So wait for that. Also, at 6.45, we're going to have coffee and talk about the Big Mac attack. Shanna Lee was telling us that uh, she's learned of a man who has eaten a Big Mac every day since the early 1970s. So if there was something that you could eat every day, and I guess with no apparent health consequences, what would that be? So you can actually start shooting us text messages if you want to, 204-780-6868. What would you eat every day if you could? Mm. Or conversely, did you try to eat something every day and it didn't work in your favor? That's how it kind of went down for me. So I'll give you those details at 6.45. And I want to make sure that I give the right plug to Todd Longley at City Cats. Oh, okay. Is his guiding service up in Lockport. Okay. And at uh, later this morning at 8.37, Steinbach Pistons going into game six of the Anavet Cup versus the Nippowin Hawks, the champions of the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League. Steinbach Pistons from the Manitoba Junior Hockey League. And uh, they won game five over the weekend. So game six is tonight. So we'll talk to the coach. After 9 o'clock, we're going to visit with a New York Times reporter who did a report on Winnipeg Jets fans in Atlanta. Cool. We, of course, uh, met one of those individuals before game one here in Winnipeg, but there's still an army of fans loyal to the Atlanta Thrashers slash Winnipeg Jets, and the Jets are catching the attention of media across North America, so we will uh, find out about that phenomenon, as small as it may be, down in uh, the Peach State. Have you ever been to Georgia? Never been to Georgia. Really? You've been everywhere. I yeah. found a spot you haven't <laughs> I've been. I've never been to Georgia. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, Not been to Atlanta. I don't know that I've ever actually eaten a peach either now that I think about it. No, you're not a peach guy? Maybe not since I was a kid. Mm -mm. I probably tried it when I was a kid. Didn't like it. You used to love the canned peaches. Uh, I don't, definitely haven't tried that. Oh, really good canned peaches once upon a time. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yum, yum. (laughs) (laughs) I'm hungry. (laughs) Hungry for canned peaches. Moving to the country, I'm going to eat a lot of peaches. I'm moving to the country, <laughs> I'm gonna eat me a lot of peaches. Nice tribute to our past to segment. Mackling McGarry on this Monday morning. Dead presidents of the United States of America, correct? Not, not dead presidents, just the just presidents. presidents. Oh, dead presidents. <laughs> That's on the money. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. It's all dead It's also a film, I believe. <laughs> what was that other? Was it Lump? Was that their really big song, Presidents of the United States They're of America? They're both big songs. Yeah. She's Lump, she's Lump, she's in my head. Behind the Glass, Jerry, always digging up the music. I'm Greg, he's Brett. And there are some tired legs this morning. Mm-hmm. Winnipeg Police Service Half Marathon took place yesterday. Race director Nick Paulette says they had about 2,600 runners this year, which is the number they cap the run at. The event raises donations for the Canadian Cancer Society, and this year it's in honor of a special woman with a history in the WPS Half Marathon. You know, obviously we're talking about Joe Sheave, uh, who was a strong advocate for our event uh, for several years as a participant and a member of the local triathlon community. And she was diagnosed with glioblastoma, and, and we lost Joe uh, almost two years ago uh, to that. It's the same brain cancer that uh, claimed uh, uh, Gore Downey that so many are familiar with. And so we still honor Joe and remember her as such a strong advocate for the Cancer Society, and in particular glioblastoma and brain cancer, which actually is where our funds are directed to. Uh, 
in conjunction with a trust uh, uh, program from the uh, federal government, all the funds our participants raise are doubled, and that is dedicated to brain cancer research. So we honor Joe and her memory um, by dedicating those funds that way, and and uh, you'll see our shirts and our bibs. Um, and we, we don't forget her uh, uh, at all in, uh, in this event. And again, this is race director Nick Paulette, who's in conversation with Clay Young. That's who you heard just at the end there, getting ready to take a breath. Now, Paulette says he's always been involved with marathons. Uh, Ironman triathlon training, uh, not so much now that I'm into my mid-40s, but 10 or 14 years ago, I certainly uh, had more time for it. And... Um, you know, 14 years ago, the running scene was a lot different in Winnipeg, uh, Manitoba, and we just saw a great void there that would allow us to continue to do the fundraising for the Cancer Society, but also bringing to the forefront a healthy, uh, uh, positive event. And so the model, when we brought it in uh, 14 years ago, we were the first to uh, have our course open for four hours, and we were the first to give technical running shirts, and we're still the only event that gives an additional free uh, finisher's gift and breakfast and so, you know, we, we, like, we take pride that we sort of reset that bar. And, uh, but that's how I got involved in my team of, of, of close friends. Uh, when we sat around my kitchen table almost 15 years ago, that's how we all sort of got on board. Conrad Drover of Winnipeg came in first in the individual half marathon. And for the teams, we don't know their last names, but we'll give a shout out to Tammy and Chandra who came out on top. Congratulations to everyone involved in the Winnipeg Police Service Half Marathon. Yeah, it's a big deal. And another, speaking of big deals, what's going on over in Hawaii, certainly a big deal with this volcano situation. A number of homes now destroyed, a few dozen, and I believe you uh, pulled a report from ABC News. Yeah, Kilauea is, uh, well, it's uh, uprooting people. It's uh, changing families' lives on the big island in Hawaii. Uh, Massive numbers of displacements because of this. Here is Marcy Gonzalez from ABC News. Tonight, that ominous line of lava closing in, sending Woody Kihai Nelson's childhood home up in flames. Still a shock, and the memories kind of the one that hit me hard. Seeing these photos in my head of me and my brother in my backyard, and now it's covered in 10 feet of lava. He and his family among the 1,800 people forced to evacuate from two neighborhoods here on Hawaii's Big Island. Nine homes have already burned down as two new fissures have opened in the ground, spurting molten rock as high as 230 feet in the air. This view from above shows just how far these active eruptions now stretch. Nelson came back to this checkpoint today, hoping to be among the hundreds allowed back in to pick up belongings, learning he was too late. Others told they can't return because of the other lingering threat. The biggest concern is with the sulfur dioxide fumes pouring into the air from those eruptions, the toxic fumes in the smoke engulfing those neighborhoods. The gas level's too high for Chris Kleps to return home. And with one of the new fissures opening today just feet away, he worries time is running out. I think when you finally do get back home, what will you find? Ashes. <laughs> it's ashes. Residents bracing for that gut-wrenching reality and the possibility this may just be the beginning. Well, it could continue to flow for several weeks, several months, several days, several years. We don't know. The worry level is high right now. Thank you to Marcy Gonzalez of ABC News. Mackling McGarry with you on a Monday morning. 
Is it Jets miss again? How many Jets misses can you have in one year? I know. Every every time the Jets play, it's just another exciting day. It really is. I haven't seen you guys wear Jets jerseys so much. Ron's got his Winnipeg Whiteout t-shirt on today. I forgot mine. You got your Heritage Classic jersey. Yes, sir. How many sir? Jets jerseys do you own, by I the way? I just have. Just have. I think I have four. Just, I think four. Just. I think four. Yeah, four. You four. have that cool red one. Yes, the Jets uh, practice jersey. I have this one. I have, uh, and I have two Dustin Bufflin uh, blue jerseys. One is autographed. One is not. So, um, did you see any of the game Saturday night? Yeah, a little bit of the second period. I uh, I, I sort of did a transcone tour. I went to visit uh, my parents. My mom's uh, just out of the hospital, by the way. Love Good you, morning, mom. Linda. And uh, then I went to see my buddy Kent, and uh, we had we. The game was one nothing. We went downstairs. He showed me the basement. They made some changes in their basement. We come back upstairs five minutes later. It's two one, and uh, then I saw the final score later, and I thought, well, that was an explosion. Yeah, so. that was an explosion. It was a, a ton of fun. Uh, shout out to uh, the folks at Jeffries on Henderson Highway. Me and my buddy Rob went there Saturday night, and typically I like to be either at the game or kind of at home watching. And we decided to go out, and it was so much fun. There had to be 180 people in the room on Saturday night. It was like being at a mini game, people chanting and cheering. It was a ton of fun. So I'm guessing you didn't catch this. And now, please rise and join seven-time Grammy Award winning group, Lady Antimeno. Of course, in Nashville, right, they like to bring out the country stars. It was Lady Antebellum on Saturday night. Bright stripes and bright stars the Sounds pretty good, right? Nice harmony. So oh, whoops. Yeah, that didn't sound. No. What happened? They forgot the words. Whoops. Both of them? Yes. They forgot the words. <laughs> oh, All <God>. three of them. <laughs> kind of standing there looking at one another. So a little bit of an auspicious start for the Nashville Predators, to be sure. But, of course, following the game, public enemy number one in Winnipeg, P.K. Subban, had this to say. We had the start that we wanted. We, I thought we played really, really well in the first period. And, um, you know, it just felt like every bounce went their way. You know, uh, can we be better? Of course, we got to be a lot better. But... Uh, it just seemed like every time we made a mistake, it ended up in the back of our net. So the uh, fact of the matter is we're gonna, we had to go to Winnipeg anyway. We're going to go there. We're going to win a game and come back here. It's that simple. That simple, PK. You know what I'd like to see tonight? You know how we've been booing PK Subban? Yeah. Someone said this on Twitter, and I love it. When he touches the puck, silence. Nothing. Nothing at all. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, that kind of stuff... Would it, it clearly energizes him? There's no question. We've discussed this before, but uh, I would think any ener- any crowd involvement when you're the visiting team, I think would would be better. This because silence is creepy. If you're in a room full of people and it's totally silent, like you know what? Uh, just to make a basketball comparison, when guys are shooting free throws, when it's a visiting team, the the fans are going crazy and they're all waving their thunder sticks and all that stuff. I kind of get that, but. When the, the home, everybody's silent. 
when it's the home team. And to me, if I'm standing on the free throw line in front of 15,000 people who are being quiet, yeah, I think that would actually throw me off more. A I, great I would, point. I would do better if people were cheering me on. Like, right. Come on, man. Yeah, yeah. make the shot. Yeah. And then, I, you know, that would pump me up. I don't know. Anyway. The, the pool noodles and the thunder sticks, like you say, <laughs> those can serve as an actual distraction, right? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, dead silence would be really creepy. It would kind of freak you out. Yeah, so I, I agree. I Hopefully that uh, the fans can leave PK alone, and maybe that'll rattle him. Yeah, quit fueling that fire for sure. Uh, lots of fires this weekend. We'll get around to those conversations as it's tinder dry in and around the city of Winnipeg. Some scary, even uh, two fatalities over the weekend associated with brush fires. Very sad story. Indeed. And another story we want to revisit right now, we've discussed in recent weeks, critics of The Simpsons are now pushing for a crowdsourced cure to one of the show's most popular characters. As Global's Reed Feist reports, they're trying to fix the problem with Apu. Thank you for coming. Who would a poo be if he wasn't behind the Quickie Mart's counter? That's the question behind a call to crowdsource a cure for The Simpsons and come up with a script that doesn't sound like this. Hey, Ganesha, want a peanut? Please do not offer my god a peanut. You only live once. Hey, speak for yourself. Yes, I am a citizen. Now which way to the welfare office? What? The central subject of the show is American ignorance of other cultures. The University of Calgary's Patrick Finn says handing the creators of the show a funny solution may be the fix. You're saying you want to make the change, you're showing them we've got a solution, and then you're handing them the, the good work. So I think it's a rather clever way to go about it. A documentary highlighting the problem with Apu started the conversation. How many of you had to deal with being called Apu or that being referenced? Ooh, expired him. Last month, the way the show actually addressed it left a bad taste for many. Something that started decades ago and was applauded and inoffensive is now politically incorrect. What can you do? Some things will be dealt with at a later date. If at all. Stereotyper? Who's a stereotyper? That's a spicy accusation. The reality is the show is full of them. <gasps> From Fat Tony Sorry. to Cletus. Hi, Brian Dane! Empty out the tub, we's making room. Simpsons creator Matt Groening recently said, I'm proud of what we do on the show, and I think it's a time in our culture where people love to pretend they're offended. But Hank Azaria, who voices a poo, disagreed when he spoke to late night show host Stephen Colbert. I'm perfectly willing and happy to step aside or help transition it into something new. The deadline to submit a script is June 30th, and it will be up to the team behind The Simpsons if they fix the problem with a poop. Refeist, Global News, Calgary. You know, and I've talked to a lot of people about this topic in the last couple of weeks, and they, they're tends, one of the, the main reactions tends to be something that was referenced in that report. Well, The Simpsons makes fun of everybody. Mm -hmm. But in this case, I think Apu is, is maybe a, a unique, or maybe the, the show's anomaly, given that uh, one of the things we learned when we first visited this is Apu was the only South Asian character on mainstream TV. Right. So that so that that was the the, the classic line, thank you, come again, uh was uttered. And I will admit when I was a kid, I said it, you know. Um and I'm looking at a headline here. Priyanka Chopra 
uh, star of the TV show Quantico, and mm-hmm. she's been in a few movies. She was in uh, the really bad Baywatch movie. Yes. But the headline here on uh, uh, it says, The Simpsons Apu was the bane of my life. I was bullied in the high school because of him. And she says, I was always asked when I was in high school, like at 14, 15, why I didn't speak like that? Or did I find gold in my rivers? Did we go to school on elephants? So I guess... This is why this is a problem, and this is why this discussion needs to happen. And I, I at least applaud the Simpsons for saying, "Okay, we gotta, we gotta fix this. Let's fix it together." Yes, and uh, I think I've been guilty of the whole idea of that every character is sort of a caricature of itself. Uh, but yeah, a poo may be different. I may be coming around on the other side of this as we hear testimonials from those who have been directly uh, affected by the stereotypes that Apu does present. Chris Mel standing in for Kelly Moore. Jeff Courier in sick bay today, so Kelly will be on the air from 10 till 1. And Jeff Stead, Shanley Vidal, Jeff Braun, and the omnipresent omnipresent behind the glass cherry to uh, have coffee and talk about... A Wisconsin man who has eaten at least one Big Mac almost every day since, since 1872. May, no. since <laughs> <May>. <laughs> so many Big Macs. Since May of 1972, and he just keeps breaking records. Don Gorski of Fond du Lac. This is curious. He's from Wisconsin. So right. if this was from Quebec or Southern Manitoba somewhere, I'd say Fond du Lac. But how would you say this out of Wisconsin? Fond du Lac. Let's go with that. Polished <laughs> off his 30,000th Big Mac on Friday. Oh, man. And he says he's already looking ahead to the next milestone. <laughs> it means a lot because uh, I, I lived a l- long enough to hit 30,000, you know, but I, I plan to keep on going. It's just that I'm always amazed when I'm actually, you know, when I think ahead, you know, every 10,000 takes me 14 years. <laughs> he's broken it down. He's marveling at his own success. It's kind of funny. The 64-year-old says he holds on to the old... <laughs> Gosh, I can't believe I'm reading this. Onto the old Big Mac containers so he can keep an accurate tally of how many he's eaten. Oh. Just hold on to the receipts. I don't know. There's a way easier way to count than what he's doing. Wouldn't you think? Gorski <laughs> says his blood pressure and cholesterol are normal. Just we had zero confirmation from his doctor on that. Well, there was there was a time there in the 90s where they didn't even put them in containers. They just wrapped them. So what did he do then? That's true. Maybe he just I don't want to see his garage. Weren't they always in the box? No, no, there was a time in the 90s where they actually just put like a, a, a cardboard ring around them and then wrapped them like a regular that's burger. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Car- the cardboard. That's from when you worked at McDonald's, isn't it? I've never worked at McDonald's. I'm and I'm shocked. sure he still has those rings. <laughs> yeah, yeah probably. That, that, is just, that is just bizarre. So what's more bizarre, let's start it with this. What's more bizarre is that, that he's eating... Uh, a Big Mac every day since 1972, or that he keeps the containers. Or, that he's, or that he's still alive. Yeah. Okay, so we have yeah. three things to that contemplate. That he's still alive, because the inside of him must look like the Upside Down from Stranger Things. <laughs> 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 uh, so, Shanalee, what would you like to eat every day if you could? <laughs> well, if I could and, and uh, didn't have any repercussions at all, it would be anything sweet. Um, you know, I, like this Big Mac guy... I was actually really surprised to find out that he was still alive and and how long he's been doing this for. But what I probably do eat every day, I actually probably eat bananas every day because they're like the most convenient thing. They're like in it in their own package and you can just grab them and take them. That's more out of necessity. 
So the, the, the banana is what you do eat every day, but anything sweet is what you'd anything like to eat. Anything sweet. I am a, I am a, 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 as I've said before, I am a sugar addict. I love sugar. I love candy. I love anything sugar. Just, just hook it to my veins. I, Whoa. yeah, pretty much. So in Calvin Pickling. and Hobbes term, terms, it would be the chocolate frosted sugar bombs. Yum. Mm. You remember that? With a, yeah. With a little, little more chocolate on top. Christian, you're kind of a, a vacuum uh, when it comes to food. Sure. Uh, your appetite is uh, um, quite a marvel. Uh, what would you, you probably can eat whatever you want. Not necessarily. I mean, there are things that I would love to eat every day that we just don't eat. And as a person that eats basically six things, and it's always the same food every day, basically. Yeah. I would have to say that. If there were no repercussions, a cheesy gordita crunch from Taco Bell every day. The cheesy gordita crunch. That's Love a it. specific. I, I, I mean, number two is Tide Pods, but. <laughs> wow, there's a callback. No repercussions. I mean, you're curious, uh, right? I hope all the kids are still sleeping. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Do not try that. Don't do that. Uh, no repercussions? There are lots of repercussions. No, but that's the question. That's yeah. the, the hypothetical? Yeah. Oh, and, I understand. Then you gotta what go you're with saying. like cocaine or something. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's food, though, so they'd be like cocaine oh, cookies. Yeah. Uh, cocaine <laughs> cookies. Okay, that doesn't count. That's, Put, the, that's the dusting. Poutine is what I would do. Oh. I did that last oh. summer after I quit smoking and. There were consequences. <laughs> <laughs> if there weren't any, I'd still be doing it. Well, I got a job once uh, in the main street in a call center in, in like this old MTS building. I think it's, uh, I don't know, can't remember if it was at Leela or just uh, within a couple of blocks of Leela. And there was a McDonald's right there. And when I got the job, I had all of my jobs prior to that. I was, I think, 20 or 21 at this time. And everywhere I'd worked, I was always on my feet. I worked at Taco Bell. I worked in retail. Uh, so this was the first sit-down job I'd ever had for one. And two, there was a McDonald's, like a like a pitching wedge away, and I ate there every day for three months, and I put on twenty pounds, and I've struggled with my weight ever since. So yeah, maybe weight. Yeah. Well, yep. What's your answer then? What's that? Well, what's the answer to the question? The answer. My, I, well, <laughs> if it, if I could eat whatever I wanted every day, it would be pizza. Okay. There you yeah. go. Lots and lots of pizza. Jerry. Well, I I've got three that I'm trying to you know juggle here. Which one would I actually choose? Because I love nachos. I could do nachos. I could do a, a barbecue pizza, like the barbecue uh, sauce instead of the tomato sauce with the with the grilled onions and everything on it. Okay. Um, or uh, Jeff's poutine. Those are my three go-tos whenever I want junk food. When you do poutine, what do you? How does that work for you? Right. Uh, I use a mushroom gravy and a vegan cheese. Cool. That sounds inventive. Didn't I'd like know to you try could that. Do that. Yeah. What about you, Mackling? Oh, would be sirloin Oscar from the keg, like every oh, single. Specific. Oh yes, <laughs> absolutely, my favorite meal. Uh, otherwise, it would just be lobster, just mm. endless mounds of lobster with melted butter. But yes, that if I could have one meal every day just drink for the butter. rest of my life, it would be the sirloin Oscar from the keg, medium rare, please. Did you just say just drink butter? I did Christian? say that. <laughs> No repercussions. A, a, a lot of people do feel as though lobster is popular for the fact that you eat you just it dip with it in butter. melted yeah. butter. One of our listeners said, um, farmer sausage. I said, any particular kind? She says, yes, pioneer. And would it be greedy if I added pierogies to that? Pierogies and farmer. No, they go hand in hand. They 
they uh, are combined to make a, a meal. So you could absolutely have Pioneer sausage and pierogies every single day. That's what I had this weekend. Without the pierogies, the, but the Pioneer meats. It's farmer good. sausage. Oh, fired so good, up the barbecue right? for the first time. It was oh, Atta boy. Did you clean it first? Uh, I, the brush went on it, yeah. <laughs> scrubbed it a little bit? <laughs> Very little bit. You know makes good uh, pierogies and sausages? No. Uh, the 59er. Oh, really? Yeah, as you're heading uh, north out of the city. Yeah. Boiled, pan-fried, what kind of... Uh, I believe they were fried, yeah. Yeah, I like the pan-fried. Mm, you can text us at 204-780-6868. What would you eat every day if you could? So hungry. Just before we do our concert announcement here, uh, we get we. We're getting a lot of text messages on what kind of food would you eat every day if you could after the story of a man from Wisconsin who has eaten 30,000 Big Macs since 1972. He's had a Big Mac every day. And one text here, and this one is from, no name on this one, but it just simply says, bacon on everything. <laughs> and you know what that makes me think of? And I, let's see if it's this commercial right here. Bacon, bacon, where's the bacon? I smell bacon! 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 Gotta be bacon! Only one thing smells like bacon! That's bacon! Bacon, 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 bacon! There! From that bag, what's it say? <laughs> I can't read! Please, please, give me what's in the bag! Chewy, yummy, smoky you remember this? bacon! Yeah, but you I don't go. know where from. Boy, 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 no, 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 no. It's bacon! <laughs> no, it's bacon strips, brand dog snack from Purina. Uh, so, <laughs> that's a dog. Yeah, that's right. The bacon strips. Oh, yeah. Uh, I also wanted to just quickly revisit something funny that happened over the weekend when I was reading the news on Saturday afternoon. I was reading the forecast and I, I, I came up with uh, a new meteorological phenomenon. Sunday money. Yes, that's right. Money. Sunny. And I have 20. <laughs> you could say that's money. And then Monday, sunny and 29. That's money. It's 18 degrees outside 680 CJOB. <laughs> As it turned out, it's going to be 30 degrees That today. is money. That's money in the bank, uh, baby. I like that. Now it's time. May I have this dance? No. It's an evening with Chicago. Saturday, September 8th, Bell MTS Place. Tickets go on sale this Friday, May 11th at 10 a.m. at LiveNation.com. But you can win tickets with us all week. Beat the box office tickets on CJOB Mornings. We do want to revisit uh, one of the stories that Jeff Braun had in his newscast at 7 o'clock, and this is concerning the 27-year-old man who is believed to have drowned in the Red River after the boat he was in flipped over on Friday night. Now, police uh, didn't say that, the ma- they, of course, they don't know, but given the, the conditions of the river and the fact that he hasn't been found, they searched all the way up to Lockport mm-hmm. uh, for this guy, and uh, he did not turn up, so they, they say it is likely he's dead. Four men were in the boat. When it capsized just after 11 p.m. Friday near Chief Pegwas Trail, three of the guys made it to shore, and they believe the driver of the boat was drunk and have, in fact, uh, arrested him and charged him. Clay Young hosts weekend mornings on 680 CJOB, and yesterday he spoke with the acting CEO of the Life Saving Society, Manitoba Branch, Kevin Tordiff. 
They stated on the uh, subject on uh, drinking and boating, uh, they just simply don't mix. Absolutely not. Um, you know, we find in, throughout Canada that alcohol is a major contributing to all forms of drowning. And when you look at the last set of statistics in Manitoba, you find that nearly 100% of boating fatalities in Manitoba had alcohol as a contributing factor, making Manitoba one of the leading provinces in that statistic, which is which is tragic. Alcohol impairs judgment, uh, you know, as well as uh, physical coordination. So, you know, boats are already challenging enough. Um, you know, especially uh, as I understand it in this case, we're talking about a 16-foot aluminum boat, uh, not known for being the most stable craft out there, um, you know, and, um, you know, adding alcohol and adding, you know, that physical impairment, um, you know, is going to make it a very risky event. Clay followed by asking, why is Manitoba the leader in this unfortunate category? Well, I think that um, part of it is, is that, uh you know, the, the enforcement that I think we need because our waterways are so diverse throughout the province, um, we just haven't been getting the enforcement attention that we need. And, um, you know, certainly uh, we have a, a strong river patrol program within the city of Winnipeg um, that, you know, has been making efforts to improve boating safety on the Red Nassinaboyan rivers. Um, and I know that uh, the RCMP have kind of doubled up their efforts in the last few years to try to improve uh, coverage of um, enforcement on Manitoba's waterways beyond the perimeter. Um, but uh, it's very challenging geography to get officers out and enforcing those types of rules. Well, I, you know, I certainly think the statistics speak for themselves. When we're, uh, you know, the leading province in boating, alcohol-related boating fatalities, you know, there's obviously a need for it out there. Um, you know, and um, yeah, I, I think that uh, stronger enforcement it will help with those types of statistics. Another tragic weekend in Manitoba already, really our first weekend where you could be on the water. We've had fatalities on the highways and fatalities in fires and battling brush fires. <laughs> Mackling McGarry on a Monday morning. It's been an extremely busy weekend for Winnipeg firefighters. There have been multiple grass fires, crews uh, also battling a house fire on College Avenue, a Cinnaboyne Forest, and uh, that part of the city affected, and of course the tragedy where you had two individuals lost their lives in a brush fire on Friday evening. The United Firefighters of Winnipeg President Alex Forrest joining us now live on 680 CJOB. Good morning, Al. Good morning, Good morning Alex. Gentlemen. So the we'll start with the, the various uh, all these brush fires yeah. and grass fires that are occurring. Uh, my first my first inclination is are the a lot of the, any of these fires being started by cigarette butts? Well, uh, whether it's cigarette butts or other actions of, of human beings, uh, probably about eighty percent of all grass fire wildland events fires occur because of human error, either on purpose or by accident. Uh, just in the last week, we've had everything from people burning rubbish behind their business to playing with fireworks, and that that's what's caused a lot of these fires. Uh, and especially what we're trying to get the message out, more importantly, is th this is probably the worst that I've ever seen in my 29 years as being a firefighter and a union president. And uh, uh, it's absolutely tinder dry out there and, and so dangerous. These fire bans are in effect for a reason. Why, why do you think people ignore or, or are they simply unaware that these bans are in place, Alex? 
Well, what it is is I think it's education because I don't think people think that it's going to be that big of a deal. We're only burning a little rubbish here. Nothing, nothing will happen. They don't realize that there's years of unburned brush and grass that has been piled up over the years because we're very good at putting grass fires out. So what's happening now is they're lighting these fires or, or rubbish or playing with fireworks or doing anything. Uh, even driving into a field now could start a fire with just the heat of the exhaust pipe and everything. And I think it's just people don't realize just how dangerous and, and just how ferocious these fires can be and how quickly they can, they can uh, start. We also had two firefighters that were badly hurt and were taken to the hospital because the fire had overcome them. Uh, it was a massive fire in St. Mary's just off the floodway. You and I follow one another on Twitter, Alex, and uh, right. you sent this out yesterday. We're asking the public to provide us with pictures, videos of our men, women in the Winnipeg Fire Department in action at fires, rescues. We have just started this program where we will be awarding prizes, T-shirts, challenge coins, and the such throughout the year. Just message me. Lots of people wondering if this is a good idea. Yeah, you know what? The important thing for us is that people take pictures and videos anyway. Every time a person does anything on the street, they're going to take a picture and video. All we're trying to do is get it directed to us because we have one of the most aggressive, active uh, Facebook, Twitter platforms in the city. We have over 15,000 followers on different platforms on social media. That's United Firefighters of Winnipeg. You can go on there. You can see some amazing footage. For instance, last night we had that fire on college where there was a rooming house fire and we got everybody out. That story alone sounds good, but once you see exactly the power of that fire, it really puts a window into what we did. Is for like if you go onto our site, the United Firefighters of Winnipeg site, you will see a video of that college fire, and you'll wonder how did anybody ever get out of that fire. Alex Forrest, president of the United Firefighters of Winnipeg, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Okay, thank you. Monday morning. I don't know if I've looked forward to a more a Monday <laughs> like this in an awful long time. Winnipeg Jets could move on tonight. Three games to two lead in the well, what's essentially the Central Division Championship, wow. right? The uh, the Western Conference semifinal. The Vegas Golden Knights are already through to the Western Conference final, a uh, virtue of a four-two series win over the San Jose Sharks. The Jets looking to replicate that. The Knights did it on. Visitors ice last night. The Jets looking to do it on home ice tonight. Kelly Moore, Christian O'Mel joining myself and Brett McGarry to uh, talk about what it's going to take for the Jets to wrap things up tonight. Kelly Moore, to you, uh, when you look back on Saturday night's game, I thought the first goal was going to be absolutely crucial as the Predators shut down, kind of played that classic neutral zone trap on Thursday night against the Jets once they got that one goal lead. The Jets uh, managed to bust that uh, quite well in the second period on Saturday. Yeah, it was uh, it was a total shock, to be quite honest with you, uh, how that game played out. But again, it, it shows the merit of going to the net and putting shots on net. Uh, you know, Lyonnais' deflection off of Paul Stastny is a prime example of that. Uh, but Connor Hellebuck was the story. And I don't know who the Nashville media were that picked the three stars, but that Connor Hellebuck was Didn't not one of the three stars was just absolutely mind-boggling. But he has outplayed Pekka Rinne in this series. Absolutely. And for the Jets to win tonight, I think they're going to have to beat a good Pekka Rinne. I think he's going to mm-hmm. bounce back. We've seen in his playoff career, he bounces back after losses in a real big way, 9-2. and two. So... 
it's going to be a I'm not going to say Herculean effort, but the team we saw them beat in Game 5 of the Minnesota series, and that was just a party all night in that clinching game. Tonight's not going to be like that. The Preds aren't going to roll over you would and think, die. You would, you would think. think. Then again, we would have thought the Preds wouldn't have lost 6-2 on Saturday night. But the, I expect, I think three goals might win it tonight. And I think whoever gets on the board first, especially if it's Nashville, you got to take the crowd out of it like they did Thursday. If the Jets get on the board one, two, nothing, it could be an avalanche, right? So, you know, I would say on Saturday night, we saw the strongest possible four lines uh, mm-hmm. for the Winnipeg Absolutely. Jets. And yeah, what, sure. a, what, what kind of factor is that and was that and will that be tonight, Kelly? That's a huge factor because when you take a look at the distribution of minutes, especially as this series goes on, if it if it does go to a seventh game, uh, having those minutes equal out, and and even if the you know if the Jets are looking uh, you know say to getting to the third round, uh, now they can distribute those minutes. Nobody has to get uh, overly taxed, uh, and they don't have to give up a whole lot in order to uh, uh, to roll those four lines. So I think that is absolutely critical to long term success. I will say this, seeing Kyle Connor go back to that top line, he hadn't had a lot of stats in the first, really the whole playoffs. He goes, after being down a line for two games, goes back with Wheeler and Shifley, and all of a sudden, it's like a different Kyle Connor. I see, and I thought it was a different Kyle Connor once he went to uh, Stastny and Lyonnais, okay. myself. Yeah. So and maybe that's the shift that, that over. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's what bumped him up, because he was incredible on Saturday night. Matthew Perot comes back into the lineup. He doesn't miss a beat. He gets yeah. a goal being at the right place, the right time in front of the net, yep. stick on the ice. And Pekka Rene wasn't great. He got pulled yeah. for the second time in the series. And for the Preds to force a game seven, he's going to have to be good. I expect him to be pretty good tonight. And I did some research. 57% of the time when our team forces a game seven with a road win, they go on to win the series. So it's a big game tonight for both squads, obviously, but for the Jets, a better chance to finish it off tonight than they would on Wednesday. But the statistic of who wins game five, even more predictive, right? Numbers. 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 Sports. Hockey. Stats. (laughs) (laughs) Brett. Christian O'Bell. Kelly Moore. Thank you very much uh, for joining us to talk about ice hockey. And after Global News. That's all we get out of you is... Ice hockey? Yeah, I said it earlier. You remember oh, that okay. Nintendo game, Ice Hockey? Did yes. anybody here remember yes, that? Remember EA so Sports primitive. at the beginning of the playoffs? Who did they have meeting in the Western Final? Uh, was in it, the, that was the simulated playoff? I'll tell you. Was it was Vegas Winnipeg, Winnipeg and Vegas. Whoa, that's that's actually kind of creepy. <laughs> we won't, we won't tell away. you who ended up with the Stanley <laughs> Cup because that I, got, be I, I got absolutely hammered on my Facebook page for, for posting the picture. Take one for the team, Mackling. Yeah. Take one for the team. All right, we'll tell you. It was the Jets. Yeah, other uh, Brad Marchand <laughs> will come and lick you. Oh. <laughs> Mackling McGarry, Monday morning. We have... Game six happening in Pittsburgh tonight. The Capitals and the Penguins going head to head. Moving west, downtown Winnipeg. The Jets and the Predators going at it. And then moving back slightly east in downtown Steinbach. We have a game six and a Manitoba team with the potential to wrap up their seven game series in the Anavet Cup. Paul Dick is the head coach of the Steinback Pistons, who will be looking to clinch the series for the Pistons in uh, this uh, very exciting series. Uh, Paul, congratulations on a successful trip to Saskatchewan. Well, thanks a lot. It's, uh, it was a great experience for our guys and, and uh, a good test for us out, out west and 
glad to be home fighting for game six. So, you know, we don't want to, th- we won't even mention the fact that there's a game seven, although by doing, not mentioning it, I have mentioned it. And the fact that both games are at home, you want to close this thing out tonight. There, there's no sense in giving the Hawks any sort of ideas that they can, uh, that they can win this thing in a coin flip game, like game seven. And that's right. I mean, obviously it's a good spot to be in having, you know, having two at home, but uh, I mean, our objective here today is to close it today and, you know, we feel we need a we need a start. Uh, we've kind of been guilty of of uh, falling behind here in each of the games and kind of clawing back. So, um, you know, for us tonight to get our fans engaged early is going to be important. You say that uh, you you've you've had a made a habit of falling behind. What do you think has contributed to that particular trend? You know, you know, I'm not, I'm not certain. I mean, it's something that we've done really well all year. Um, you know, we've we've been a team that's scored scored the first goal in the majority of the games that we've played. But uh, here in this series, we find uh, we've only done it once. And you know, it sometimes it hasn't necessarily been reflective on on how we've played. I mean, you can see you can see the National Hockey League as well how a team can carry the play and yet uh, you have to be chasing the game all of a sudden. But so yeah, I don't know if there's one thing really. I think we've been prepared, and uh, but it seems like we've responded every time. Maybe it's been a bit of a wake up call. Paul, talk about that on different levels of hockey. You work towards a goal. Uh, you know that the puck drop is at 7, 7.30 tonight, 8.30 uh, for the Jets and Predators. And then you do the, you know, the, the media will do the interview between the first and second period. Wow, we didn't come out the way we wanted to. How how does that happen? Well, that's a really good question. I mean, you, you look at the magnitude of these these games and the intensity going into them and you know, I think sometimes maybe guys are gripping their sticks a little tight. And, uh, if it's if it's nervousness or pressure that they put on themselves, and, and which doesn't allow them to play to their potential or play, play maybe as freely as they would if they were just a little more relaxed. So, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm not sure. I think if we had that answer, it probably would never happen. But, um, <laughs> and so you know, we you know we've spoken about it, and you hear Mike Babcock talking about starting on time, and, but. Uh, so really, I, honestly, it's it's frustrating as a coach um, when we're when we feel we're physically, mentally prepared that we've um, you know taken the amount of rest that we need. And uh, but whatever it is, what it is, it's also a sixty-minute hockey game. So I mean, you see teams start start strong and, and and can't finish or close games. So you know we've taken pride in being teams that have gotten or being a team that's gotten stronger as the game's gone on. Can you speak to the resilience then of your team? Uh, for example, in Game Five, just looking at the story of the game, SteinbachPistons.ca uh, down one nothing after the after two periods of play. Uh, despite uh, you know coming hard in the second period and coming up blank, they they were managed to to persevere and overtake the Hawks in that uh, final frame. It sounds like this is uh, an intense uh, and a bunch of uh, young lads who just won't quit. Yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, you know, we I think it starts with great leadership. We've got a we've got a group. Um, you know, we have some guys with experience and have exhibited really strong leadership in our room throughout the year and we've learned some lessons. We've we've learned to win in different ways, but uh it's a group that does not enjoy losing and, and loves to win. So, um, you know, there's kind of been a, a never quit attitude in that group. So we felt after that second period that our game was going in the right direction. We had generated a lot of chances. We weren't giving up a lot. And, you know, in the third period, we, I thought we were excellent in both ends of the ice. We only gave up three shots. And, um, 
you know, really, really played with a lot of confidence. So, um, yeah, it's, 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 uh, we feel like games aren't out of hand. Even if we do fall, fall behind, we've shown that we can come back. I mean, pre- preference as a coach with, uh, w- would definitely be to play with the lead and, you know, it's tough on the heart chasing game. So. The Sanivet Cup, uh, special meaning for all teams involved, I suspect, both uh, you and the Hawks. We know that you had to pass by and, and took uh, some time to stop at the intersection where the Humboldt Broncos bus tragedy took place. Has uh, that weighed on you at all, Paul, or has it inspired you, a mixture of both? Well, I think a mixture of both. There's no doubt about it. Um <clears throat> You know, we had the opportunity to, to stop as a team. I think, uh, without question, everybody felt that we should and wanted to. And um, certainly, with a lot of heaviness that we came, we stepped off that bus. It was uh, really—I don't know if sobering, I guess, was was the word—but really brought a lot of reality to the situation. Um, um, I think it was important for our group. We had some guys that were really closely connected to it, and. Uh, you know, I had a few connections myself, so I think it was part of the healing process. And, and um, you know, I know brought our guys closer, but uh, it was definitely a moment that we will never forget as a as a group. And thankful we had the opportunity to do that. Um, you know, it's not uh, like I mentioned to someone else. Uh, sometimes when you travel uh, with your team and on off days, you you know you you, you try to fit some team building activities in or maybe do a little sightseeing wherever you're at. But, you know, this was different. It was, uh, it was maybe an, a team building exercise that certainly wasn't planned or intended to be that way. And, you know, certainly not a, a career site that you would ever want, want to visit, but, um, you know, I thought it was important that we did that. Paul, before we let you go here, uh, tonight's game starts at 7.30 at the T.G. Smith Centre. For those uh, who are familiar, now I've, I've, I've been through Steinbach a couple of times because uh, I like to golf at uh, the fly-in course there. So I'm, I'm mildly familiar but not super familiar with, the, lay, with the, the land, so to speak, the lay of the land in Steinbach. Where is the T.G. Smith Centre? The T.G. Smith's uh, right right downtown, so if you go past the fly-in uh, on the number 12 and you take it right down to Main Street um, and, and turn left on Main Street, and uh, everybody will see the, the biggest building in Steinbeck's, the SCU, um, on Main Street, and it's a block behind it, directly behind it, so uh, you know, very easy to, easy to get here. Still some tickets available, but uh, it'll be a it'll be a good crowd, I'm sure. I know, uh, I know there's a Jets game today. Our start's a little earlier, which is good, but you know, hopefully we get a full house here and are, are able to wrap it up on home ice. 30 degrees outside today. Uh, it'll be interesting <laughs> to see what the weather's like inside the barn because there could be a, a weather system moving uh, over the uh, ice surface uh, tonight. We want to thank you for this, Paul. Congratulations uh, on your season so far. Best of luck tonight. And we hope to be talking to you uh, later on in the week about RBC Cup. Go get them. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks for the time, guys. Appreciate it. All right, Paul Dick, head coach of the Steinbeck Pistons, the Manitoba Junior Hockey League champion Steinbeck Pistons, taking on the Nippowin Hawks in Game 6 tonight in the Anivet Cup. Nippowin, the SJHL champions. Pistons lead that series three games to two. Just got off the phone with Paul Dick, head coach of the Steinbeck Pistons. They play the Nippowin Hawks in Game 6 of their Anivet Cup championship series that pits the 
Manitoba Junior Hockey League champion against the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League champion. And of course, it was the Hawks who were the opposition of the Humboldt Broncos when that tragedy happened one month ago today. That bus crash claimed the lives of 16 people. 13 others were injured. Brittany Greenside, Global News reporter at uh, downtown, joining us this morning. Brittany, I still have to have a heavy sigh whenever I talk about the story because even though it's been a month, it's still very fresh for a lot of people, obviously, as we start to see uh, the survivors of this crash in the public eye. Absolutely. And I was woke up this morning and, and had a heavy heart feeling because at this moment we were on the road to Humboldt from Winnipeg one month ago. Um, at that point, we didn't know what we were driving into. We knew that there was a very serious crash, but we didn't know how many people were, were dead or how many people were injured or really the severeness of what had happened uh, on that Friday night. And in this past month, we've seen such beautiful strength and resilience by so many of these survivors, by so many of their families, their billet families, their parents, um, and the community. We know more than $15 million was raised in those days right after that crash uh, through that GoFundMe, but also multiple other GoFundMes that were set up um, for those families and, and for their recovery. Because yes, it's one month, but this is going to be months and years of recovery for so many of these people. Brittany, do you know what is going on with that money that was raised? We do know that they have set up a fund, a trust fund, uh, essentially, and that's they've set up a board that is going to be looking at that. And they've also been taking advice from people such as, um, this is a very similar situation to right after the Las Vegas shooting. This is what happened as well. Um, and they'll look at that money and they'll, they'll hear from people. They're going to hear from the survivors. They're going to hear from the families. They're going to hear what people's needs are. Um, because that's really the only way to figure out how to dole out this money. It's not like this is going to be an even split. Um, obviously more fam- some families are going to need more help than others. There's going to be extensive, um, therapy required, both physical and mental after, after a situation like this. They haven't said exactly where that money is going to go in particular as of yet, but, um, that Humboldt Broncos website is somewhere where we've been keeping an eye on because that's where all of that information is starting to come out. But they are planning on, on holding meetings and, and here Hearing from people about what they need, because like we said, one family's going to need more than another. As the victims' families uh, move on, as difficult as it is, as the survivors try to gain back uh, their lives, we're one month out, as mentioned. I think now, and you can, uh, this is my personal opinion, we're going to see uh, demands for more answers, for some answers, period, on what was the cause of this crash. I think everybody's like everybody has wanted answers from the very beginning. We know investigators saying this was a massive scene. Uh, it involved a number of casualties, a number of injured, uh, just the extent of a, a crime, a crash scene like that um, is going to take time. We slowly started seeing some information coming out a couple weeks ago where we did find out that the semi-truck was stopped in the intersection. Still, the circumstances surrounding why or how uh, has not come out. Investigators saying they're taking their time. As much as people want answers, we need to get it right. And I think that's something everybody can appreciate. It's something that um, we know it's going to take time. But yes, one month and people are starting to ask what's happening. What was the circumstances surrounding why that semi-truck trailer was there? What are we hearing? What more about the driver? Um, we there's a lot of unknowns still. One month out. Now, Brittany, this is obviously a very difficult story with the fact that 16 people 
were killed. Um, you sort of referenced it, but there there have been so many inspiring stories. I'm just reading here, for example, the uh, the recent uh, tribute show in Toronto, the the country or pardon me, the Country Thunder Music Festival in Saskatoon. Pardon me, uh, raised over six hundred or almost six hundred thousand dollars. Just more money and more people keep coming together to help out in this situation. Everybody has wanted to do their part, and we know collectively how much this hurt Canadians, how much this hurt the world, how much people were impacted by this uh, hockey family. Uh, hockey is family. Hockey runs so deep in Canadians' bloods. Um, we're also seeing the bad side of things, though, coming out of this. We saw some fake websites being set up, uh, people pretending to be some of the survivors and setting up GoFundMe pages. Um, those families obviously very upset by that and, and uh, getting those taken down through Twitter. We, we've seen fake accounts, fake Twitter accounts and Facebook accounts being set up in survivors' names, um, something that seems to happen with every tragedy. But we're still seeing the really good in people. We're seeing those hockey sticks still being left outside people's doors. We're still seeing those pictures and those uh, people wearing their jerseys for Humboldt and, and seeing this now in the playoffs. If you watch any of those broadcasts, you're seeing that green ribbon on all of those broadcasters. You're seeing um, little stickers on players' helmets. They're not forgotten. We may be one month out, but it's still very, very real and still very, very much at the forefront of everyone's minds. Your professionalism, your reporting on this story has been exemplary. Brittany, we appreciate this very much. We know how difficult a month it's been for you. And uh, every time you share the story, we appreciate it greatly. Thank you so much. Brittany Greenslade, Global News Reporter, joining us live this morning on 680 CJOB. Now, we want to talk about Winnipeg Jets fans from a perspective that you may not have thought of. I can certainly admit I never imagined this was a thing, but here we are. New York Times says it's a thing, so it must be a thing. City will be turning white tonight for the Jets' home game. Bell MTS Place will, of course, be full. Close to 20,000 folks should be in the streets in and around the arena. Another place where fans are getting ramped up is... In Atlanta, Georgia, the former home of the Winnipeg Jets 2.0. I don't know how large any gatherings may be. They may be singular in nature. <laughs> but to uh, to uh, to join us and to tell us about his article, uh, which has the headline, The Lonely Existence of Winnipeg Jets Fans in Atlanta, Ben Spiegel. He is the writer for the New York Times. Thanks for doing this, Ben. Hey, good morning, guys. How are you? Doing really well. How did this catch your attention, Ben, first and foremost? So, the, I guess the short answer is that I'm a, I mean, I'm a big hockey fan myself, and so I always at this time of year try to look for interesting stories, and I just sort of threw this question out to my editor maybe a couple of weeks ago saying, Ben, I wonder if there are any uh, Jets fans in Atlanta. She's like, if you can find me some, you can go ahead and write about them. Challenge accepted. So how did you find them? Um, you know, I started looking on social media a little bit, and I didn't have a whole lot of success, to be honest with you. There were some Jets fans that I encountered who no longer lived in Atlanta, and for me, that was not what I was looking for. That was not part of the criteria. So I actually sent an email to the Jets saying, you know, I'm sort of curious. I found maybe one or two people. Would you have anybody who you might have encountered, uh, you know, throughout the organization? And they recommended a couple of people, and I got in touch with them, and I 
down a couple days later to hang out. Now, so this would indicate that this isn't a a gigantic uh, group of people. Ben, we're enjoying a conversation. Any any chance you can uh, join us? Are are you on speakerphone by any chance? No, not at all. Oh, there we go. That's better. I I don't know if maybe uh, maybe maybe the uh, microphone was not close to your mouth. That's no, no. Don't apologize. That's uh, way better. John Lippman is the first individual that you speak about. We had the good fortune to interview Dr. Lippman earlier this year when he was up in Winnipeg for round one. He is someone who has really gotten into this in a big, big way. Yes, he has, and uh, you know, I I had the fortune of watching Game Three of the Nashville series, which as you're aware of what kind of game that was. Uh, and that was a whole lot of fun. And he opens the door wearing the heritage classic line, a Jersey and the Winnipeg Jets shoes. And he had that audacious blazer uh, <laughs> that, that he wore. Um, yeah. He is, he is a diehard Jets fan through and through. And he stuck with the team, of course, through 11 seasons in Atlanta. And he figured, you know what? I'm, I've sort of seen these guys through, right? I've seen them through the 11 seasons in Atlanta. There are some players who are obviously going to go to Winnipeg. I'm going to go ahead and adopt them as my team. And it's turned into a full-fledged obsession, as it has with uh, the other folks who I chatted with as well. One of the things that that I really laughed at in this article was uh, you referred to another person as well, a guy named Buddy Whitlock, 28-year-old. Yeah. And uh, when he found out that the team was leaving, coming to Winnipeg, he said, and I quote, I was like, what the hell is a Winnipeg? Who's taking my team? <laughs> I will say this, guys, that I left out some more colorful language that was before that for a, for a family newspaper. Um, you know, it was all in it was all in good fun and good spirits and everything. But yeah, you know, it's it's. I really found the juxtaposition interesting of these folks who live in the American South who follow was really a niche sport, right? I mean, the Thrashers were by far the least popular professional sports team in Atlanta. Hockey is by far the least popular of the four, even maybe you might say five now with soccer uh, in Atlanta, the uh, major sports there. And yet there's this community of hockey fans that was very strong. And then even smaller, of course, is this community of people who stuck with the Thrashers when they moved to a part of the of the continent that they really didn't know much about, right? You know, these you know, they were they were, they were telling me how they, you know, knew kind of knew where Vancouver was in Toronto and Montreal. And they're like, mm. Well, could I find where Manitoba is on a map? And so they started <laughs> doing research. And they and they started reading about Winnipeg, they started reading about Manitoba. They felt that it was sort of their duty that if they're going to go ahead and follow this team that they should probably know a little bit more about it. Now, I'm not saying that they're Manitoban scholars here, but, but nor are they sort of scanning the free press or the sun and reading about all the local news. But one of them, Matt McReynolds told me that he started following the Winnipeg Blue Bomber too, just because of, you know, going to the websites and reading about the Jets that that got him interested too. And so, you know, I found that interesting. This is, this is something that they have sort of dove into uh, and really embraced. Ben Spiegel, uh, New York Times, uh, joining us. He's 
referencing and we're discussing his article, The Lonely Existence of Winnipeg Jets Fans in Atlanta. And it's interesting you should reference the fact that one of these uh, Jets fans, former Thrasher fans, is now following the Blue Bombers. Uh, I might have somebody for you to speak with. Scott Mortland is uh, now a dyed-in-the-wool Winnipeg Jets fan because... He abandoned the San Diego Chargers when the Chargers abandoned San Diego last year for Los Angeles. Oh, wow. He found another team. He decided to adopt the Winnipeg Blue Bombers as his favorite CFL team, has been up for a couple of day- games and now has fallen in love with the Winnipeg Jets down in San Diego. So this is it's interesting how these things happen. It, it, it really is. That is amazing. Uh <laughs> it is, it, it, it's, it's kind of funny how people go ahead and adopt new teams, whether it's something like that or they really like their uniforms or a particular player or whatever. But uh, that is pretty neat. Now, you, you, you sort of referenced uh, about hockey being kind of a niche sport here. Uh, that uh, there, One of the uh, the people that you spoke with uh, says that he feels like a, like a northerner living in the south. And we're, I, I yeah. can relate to that because I, when I was – when I used to follow pro sports uh, or sports in general, I was always a basketball fan, whereas every, I'm surrounded by hockey fans here. So I always felt like <laughs> I should have made that maybe I belonged in the South. So that's I can completely relate to what these guys are going through. Yeah, you know, I mean, I really I really did, did find that find that aspect interesting. The more and more I talked to them, of, uh, just sort of how lonely it is. You know, when I talked to that guy, Matt McReynolds, I asked him basically back to that question, whether he feels lonely. And he said that he might've been, and they said that it really was sort of like this natural extension of being a Thrasher's fan. Cause there really weren't a whole lot of Thrasher's fans in his school when he was in high school. And uh, so it really didn't feel all that odd kind of going out on a limb and, um, Hey, I'm going to go ahead and root for the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, but you know, the one thing that I always, love about sports is you're able to sort of go ahead and watch events or talk about events or athletes or whatever with your friends, or you can go ahead and go to a bar or a restaurant or something. And you know, the game is going to be on. And I'm sure that from all the video that I've seen of what it's like in Winnipeg before the game, the crazy atmosphere there of everyone gathering, but you're not going to find any Jets bars in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. It's sort of this solitary experience that if you want to go ahead and watch a game, you do it by yourself or you do it with friends who may be hockey fans or that you've tried to go ahead and convert yourself. And what Matt was telling me was that he was, he wasn't amazed, but he was like, you know, I hadn't met any other Jets fans or didn't know of any other Jets fans in the Atlanta area until I told him that I was going to meet with some others. You know, he's not like he goes ahead and walks around the strets of Conyers, Georgia, and sees everyone wearing Schiffer jerseys. You know, it's, it's, it just it just doesn't happen, and it hasn't happened. Ben, you're going to have to get yourself up here uh, when the Jets advance to uh, round three. You'll have to come me, on up and see it for yourself. Let me tell you guys, it is it is it is very much on my own bucket list. And if they uh, if, if they wind up winning the series, then it is my sincere hope that I make it up there. Absolutely. All right. Well, you have to come and uh, visit us in person, and we'll have to have some Manitoba beverages with you. Okay. Nothing sounds better than that, guys. Thank you, Ben. We appreciate you uh, making yourself available on such short notice. Have a great day. We appreciate it. Sure. Hey, thanks for having me me on, guys. Best of luck the rest of the way.
All right, Ben Spiegel, New York Times writer. The headline once again, The Lonely Existence of Winnipeg Jets Fans in Atlanta. It's a great read. We can send you the link if you want, or like we said, just Google it and you will find it. Rainbow festivities will be on in the city starting later on this month. The Winnipeg Pride Festival takes place May 25th to June the 3rd. The event is about celebrating the diverse community within Winnipeg that supports or identifies with the LGBTQ community. To tell us more, we are joined by Jonathan Nimchuk, who is president of Pride Winnipeg. Mr. Nimchuk, good morning to you, sir. Good morning. How are how are how are uh, preparations going, Jonathan? Lots of work. This is a gigantic festival. Give us some statistics. You know, I'm a hockey guy, so I like numbers. Uh, give us an idea of how many people will participate in the variety of events taking place uh, between the 25th of May and the 3rd of June. Absolutely. So numbers are always hard to come by, just due to the fact that it is, for the most part, a free event. But we do expect tens of thousands of individuals to swarm downtown Winnipeg on June 2nd and 3rd uh, for both our festival at the fort and the parade which are our two biggest events uh, closing out the 10-day festival Um, and yeah no preparations are well underway Uh, this is a uh, huge huge undertaking all done by volunteers that work year-round to put this on Uh, and we're just going full steam ahead and we're very very excited to uh, to have uh, to produce this for the city now, Jonathan, maybe just uh, offer, we can wanted to sort of recap something here. There was a, a date change in the fall. You had, had announced that it, it was going to move to July 20th to the 29th, and then in December it was announced, nope, we're going we're gonna to reverse on this. So what happened with all of that? Um, well, just based off some community feedback, there was uh, some concerns with uh, switching the dates into the summer. Uh, a lot of concerns coming from the ability of of um, students, uh, being that it's outside of a school year, to uh, participate in the parade with their school. And so the board took all of that feedback and realized that um, although a date change would have allowed us to address some expansion issues we've been having, that it was uh, in the best best case just to keep it in the, in the current date slot we have and to revisit different plans on how we can address uh, some of our growth uh, that we've had over the last few years. How would the date change to July have uh, helped you with the expansion issues? So uh, right now with our festival and the current uh, dates at the Forks, there's another festival that's currently also being built because it happens right after our festival. So they occupy a couple of portions of the festival site at the Forks. And so um, we were unable to access those areas, whereas if we moved into July, we would have had access to the entire site because there would have been no other festivals or activities going on at that time. And so it would have allowed us to kind of expand out into other areas at the Forks. Jonathan Nimchuk is president of Pride Winnipeg. It takes place in uh, downtown Winnipeg, May 25th to June the 3rd. Obviously, a variety of events around the, the city, Jonathan, but the most visible, as you mentioned, will be the festival and the parade. Uh, just got a text message in here from one of our listeners. And and you know what? Uh, certainly not my view, but a question that I I would suggest is representative of some of our listeners. What do we, what do we need to do this 30 years later? There seems to be a, a greater acceptance and understanding of the, of the LGBTQ community. Uh, why do we need to continue to do this? Um, it's a common question we do get. And uh, for those folks, we often tell them that they should be grateful that they don't have to have a parade. Um, but the parade is, it, it, well, granted, it did start off very much... Um, to, uh, you know, 
to fight for rights. And we're still at that stage. Like to say that we've gained full equality uh, and freedom for our community is a complete myth. Um, trans individuals of our community still face day-to-day oppression. Um, queer and trans people of color as, as well also uh, face day-to-day oppression. And so, granted, some members of our community have gained certain levels of privilege and can go about their day-to-day lives with minimal barriers. There's still lots of work that has to be done. The other thing, too, to keep in mind is that the parade also, at least in Winnipeg, it, it signifies a march that was held back in 1987 when the Human Rights Code for Manitoba came into play with sexual orientation as a protective ground. So that was a celebration that the first time in the province we received those rights. And so this march, this parade is also an annual celebration of that event. No different than how we hold parades and other events to signify historical milestones. That's what our community does. So to say like, well, you don't need a parade anymore. First off, you have no right to say that. Um, but we do need a parade because we want to celebrate for what we have achieved. And we also still have more to do. And the parade is, is a means to get that message out there. Well, yeah, and I, I just, the first thing I think of when I think of Pride Winnipeg is, is the parade. The two just, uh, you know, to me, they're, they're synonymous with each other now. Uh, but one of the things that you're also doing this year with Pride Winnipeg is you are celebrating people's first experiences at Pride. Why are you doing that? Well, the theme this year is my first Pride, and it's a really interesting theme because, for the most part, it applies to anyone and everyone. Because if you've gone to Pride, you have a first Pride experience. If you haven't been to Pride, you can have a first Pride experience. And everyone's first Pride experience is very unique, um, and it's very personal. Because in some cases, it might be the first time that you know you're you're living your true, authentic selves, and you're now kind of going out there and being part of that. Or in some cases, you're not quite ready for that, but you're kind of checking things out and just kind of seeing what the community is about. And so it's a very empowering experience and it can be both positive, negative. And so we wanted to focus on that this year and allow folks to share their stories with us, which we've been uh, posting on our blog, on our website, pridewinnipeg.com, to share to folks, uh, just to give people a glimpse of what it's like for some people when they attended their first Pride. Jonathan, uh, one of the big uh, topics of conversation in the last 24 months, maybe three years or so, at least from my point of view, have uh, been uh, gender-neutral pronouns and, and having the general, pub- general public wrap their head around those concepts. Fair to say? Um, I, it's definitely a, a, press, a, a pressing issue, and I understand that some folks, for some reason, have some discomfort around it. I don't really understand why. It's quite simple, whatever the person's pronouns that they prefer to use, just use them. Um, And I think the bigger issue is trying to still wrap people's heads around the difference between gender identity and and sex, which is something that people still have a hard time grasping with. And it just takes a little bit of, you know, openness and education to kind of understand that they're two very different, different things and that people can have a different gender identity from when they're born or what they were assigned to. And I, and I think that's the bigger issue that um, the public, the general public still needs some work with. Just looking at the Pride Winnipeg uh, program, and this is, it is huge. There is a ton of stuff going on. I mean, we've talked about some of the, the main things, but are there any uh, sort of uh, like you more unique uh, kind of niche events that uh, you might want to share that people maybe won't necessarily hear about in the mainstream stuff, like when we talk about the parade, for example? Um, for sure. And I, I'm going to sort of call it a niche event. Uh, it, it's it's going to be an awesome event. It's actually the second time that it's happening, and that's the uh, 
the Two-Spirit Powwow, which will be happening on June 2nd um, at the festival site. And this is, uh, it's, last year was the first one. It's put on by an amazing group of dedicated individuals, volunteers just like ourselves. Um, and it was a massive undertaking last year. And they're doing it again this year, which is awesome. Um, and it's just a great way to um, experience Indigenous and Two-Spirit um, ceremony and, and and culture, and I would encourage everyone, if they can, to come down June 2nd at the Forks. Uh, it starts at 1.30 p.m., and that's just going to be an amazing event to attend. Jonathan, I know part of the conversation as well has been the, the route of the parade. Some people are not necessarily happy with the, the route of the parade. Are, are, you, uh, are you in that camp? Um, for sure, and, and, and we, we, we understand the, the frustrations and the disappointments because we did march through Portage and Maine last year, given that it was the 30th anniversary for our festival and this year, we've gone back to um, a, a smaller route. Um, and we're continuing to work with the city, and the city has committed to sit down with us in the fall to revisit um, the Portage uh, discussion and try and make it, or at least in our viewpoint, we would, try to, we would like to make it more accessible to our organization. So those conversations are still ongoing. Um, however, this year's parade is still going to be great. It's going to be lively. It's going to be full. It's going to be full of color. It's just going to be amazing. So we still encourage everyone to come out, have a great time, June 3rd. Uh, and it's just, yeah, it's going to be great. Jonathan, thank you very much for joining us this morning to tell us about this uh, event. Uh, it, looks, it sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. It will be. Thank you for having me. All right. Jonathan Nimchuk is president of Pride Winnipeg, which once again, Winnipeg Pride Festival, May 25th to June 3rd. And... Uh, there's also actually while it was he was telling us about the two spirit powwow mm-hmm. on June second we were talking about the police uh, half marathon earlier today the police run because uh, I know that uh, people looking for running events there's a there's always running events going on there is the front runners pride run which is happening on Saturday June second uh, from nine thirty a.m. to twelve p.m. and uh, that starts at the at one Forks Market Road a fun non competitive running or walking event open to all members of the LGBTQ community and their supporters, and they're encouraging you to wear colorful gear, so that'll be fun. You know, I like. I know there's uh, a lot of runs that are colorful and stuff, so it should be a good time. At TD, the main sponsor, so I imagine these programs are available at TV, TD and all over the city. Uh, amazing uh, piece of information there. That's all the time we have. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Thanks to Behind the Glass, Jerry and Shanna Lee Vidal, and thank you for listening to CJOB. And then-